There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. So again, we fall back on recurring business situations and, and, and a classic recurring business situation is store rollout. So when somebody's got a fantastic concept and they're rolling out stores globally, we can look back historically and you can see that the market has a lot of trouble pricing that stock correctly in the short term. If you can find a company like McDonald's that's just historically rolled out all the stores through the United States and then started rolling them all out globally, in that phase of its growth, the share price just keeps going up and up and up and up because the market really only forecasts out two or three years and it wants to be conservative in its forecasts even when it's very excited it's not going to pay for what's going to happen in six or seven or eight years. G'day and welcome back to Equity ASA brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatello and today I'm joined again by Simon Shields the Portfolio Manager and Co-Founder of Monash Investors. Hi Simon. Hi Phil. Thanks for coming around again. It's great to be here. Yeah, look, we'll um, must probably have some more podcast recommendations for each other today <laughs> as well. <laughs> Simon and I have got a little uh, podcast um, love group going on. So tell us about Monash Investors and what Monash Investors aims to achieve. Well, uh, we're a fund manager that invests in Australian equities, both long and short, and we are trying to achieve a double-digit return after fees per annum over a long term while over a medium term, preserving the capital of the um, investors. Mm. So there's two vehicles, aren't there? What are the two investment vehicles? Yes, so we've got our um, Monash Absolute Investment Fund, and and that's a uh, a unit trust that um, you fill out a form or go online and you apply for or can redeem units in. And we've got uh, Perpetual as our responsible entity, and we manage that fund on a day-to-day basis. Our other vehicle is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, and it's the Monash Absolute Active Trust. They both have the same strategy, but instead of applying online to buy or redeem units, you buy and sell those units as units on a stock exchange. Now, you know to make sure that those units are trading in line with the NTA, we have a market maker. So Macquarie acts as the market maker. And when you buy and sell units online, Macquarie is in effect through us issuing or redeeming units. And we've spoken before about that it was previously under the LIC structure, but there were problems with that uh, net asset backing? Yes. So look, the LIC structure was developed a very long time ago before unit trusts were available for investors and certainly before unit trusts were listed on the stock exchange. And so when you compare a listed unit trust with a market maker to a listed investment company, with the unit trust, you don't have the problems of it trading at a discount or premium 
to its NTA. You also don't have issues of governance in the same way that you can with companies where somebody can get a stake in the company and then start mucking around uh, with its objectives or changing the way it's managed, regardless of what the other shareholders have been told. And then the third thing is that unit trusts have been designed by regulators for investors, you know, for, for third party investors. And that's not what a listed investment company has been designed for. It's been designed for as a business structure and adapted for investors. So you get better governance also with the unit trust structure. So it's a, it's a long, short strategy that um, you undertake. Um, how much of that strategy is the short side of things? It's a smaller part of the strategy. Typically, since we've started, it's only been about 6% of the total value of the fund in shorting, but it's really punched above its weight. So uh, it generates outsized returns, doesn't it? It certainly does. In fact, when we look at the sort of contribution it's made for that average 6% over the long term, it's been contributing about 2 to 3% of the total return of the fund over time. And, you know, we have done better than 10% per annum after fees. So it's, it's, it's been a worthwhile part of our investment strategy. So what's your philosophy behind shorting? How do you look for companies that um, are targets to short sell? Okay, so look, in general, what we're looking for, whether it's a, a long or a short, is for the market to be mispricing a stock. So what we're talking for, looking for is payoff. So you can call payoff value, but essentially we calculate how much we think a stock is worth And in a sense, what price should it be trading at today? If the market was to agree with us about our expectations for the future of the company um, and what its balance sheet's going to look like and its cash flows and its profit, we bring that back to a price which we think it should be trading at today and we compare that to the market price. And if in the case of a short, it's got at least 30% to fall to get to the price that we think it should be trading at today, then that's a short we want to we want to get exposed to. On the other hand, if it's got at least 60% upside, uh, then it's a long we want to get exposed to. Gee, that's quite a move though, isn't it? They are big moves. And so that's why our portfolio looks nothing like the share market. Mm. So we're looking for stocks that meet these criteria. Some sectors at times are more likely to meet this criteria than others. Within a particular sector, a particular stock may or may not meet this criteria. What we say is that most of the time, most of the market is fairly priced. But you can look back every year and see that some stocks have made some very big moves up and down, way oversized compared to the market. And it's those stocks we're looking for. And we're trying to find if there's some reason why we can identify those stocks in advance. And we can sometimes. We can't get all of them in advance, but we can Mm. get sometimes. And the reason why we can sometimes is because we fall back on recurring business situations and recurring patterns of behaviour. Can you give us an example of um, a successful short strategy recently and um, how that played out? Oh, look, one of our most reliable shorting strategies actually is mispricing around a signal. So we talk about recurring patterns of of, of behaviour and business situations. And, And one that we see time and time again is when senior management abruptly leaves a company. So a situation where... It's unexpected, generally because the company on the outside looks to be doing very well. It's got an aggressive growth strategy, for example, and the managing director you know, has been executing this growth strategy that he designed, and, and maybe it's only been for a year or 18 months, and then abruptly leaves. Yeah. When that happens... And, and you've, you've called this the perplexing management exodus. That's right. That's right. Syndrome. <laughs> exactly. And so when you see that, 
you, you know, it, it's easy to try and give them the benefit of the doubt. And quite frankly, when I started my career, I would give people the benefit of the doubt, but we've just got so much data now. And become so cynical. Well, yeah, ex- in way, except yeah. it's, in, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't even, I, I don't bear any ill will or too much cynicism. It's just that in situations like that, if you can identify that it really is an abrupt exit, you know, on average, you're going to make about, it's, the share price is going to fall about 60%. Hmm. Because, you know, there's a reason why management leaves. There's a reason why they're not excited about the business. There's a reason why they, they want to get out of Dodge. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, maybe they haven't even explained that fully to the board at that point. Um, let alone to the share market. That sounds so surprising that management would not even talk to the board about issues they may be having with the company. Well, look, you know, it's it's um, it can be embarrassment. It can be a feeling that, well, I've got this strategy going, but gee, I don't, it's just not quite working out. I just, it might work out, but I'm just not feeling good about it. I think I'll, I think I'll leave now and and let somebody else deal with it and my reputation's intact <laughs> you know it's it, things and like that and they've already got another job to, and they go on to, go to another the, job yeah, yeah 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 another another um shorting strategy again it's the flip of, of a positive strategy is when an industry has issues right so industries can have issues because technology is changing or there are new entrants coming in an example of a stock like that is tyro Right. So, so Tyro is a company that is involved in point-of-sale transactions. So if you go into a coffee shop or a restaurant, you've got to pay with your credit card and you wave it over a little terminal, and that could be a Tyro terminal, it could be a CBA bank terminal, it could be a NAB terminal. Uh, but Tyro came in and they came in with a, a product that was a little bit of a technological improvement that had lower fees for the merchants and got a lot of traction. And it was growing its volumes very steadily. And it didn't list on the share market until it had been around for about 10 years and had been growing steadily uh, every year for 10 years. Hadn't made a profit at that stage and needed to raise money when it got to the stock market. But the whole idea was it was going to continue to grow its volumes and it would get to the promised land in, in, in two or three years in terms of its, its profit. And it actually came on, it was, it was priced at quite a high price. But things had been starting to change in that industry. So for example, you had Block, which is a company that acquired Afterpay, actually had in the United States a similar product, but it was smaller and it was newer technology and they were coming to Australia, right? Another thing was there was a New Zealand company called SmartPay that had a very similar offering uh, to Tyro, but was perhaps better at marketing than what Tyro's been. And then the big one is Apple. So Apple now is creating an app that you can put on your phone. You don't even need to buy the terminal anymore. The merchant can have the app on the phone and people can just wave their card at the merchant's phone rather than actually having to have a a dedicated piece of equipment. Mm. Um, So for all these reasons, we've got these new entrants coming in. And lo and behold, when we look at Tyro's um, revenue growth, starting to slow a bit and the margins starting to contract. So you've got competition for clients and you've got competition on price. And so the very high rating that Tyra had was just wrong. If you were going to have an outlook for the company that was going to deviate from that solid growth that everybody else was assuming. Mm. And so when you actually do a discounted cash flow analysis, when you had the, the revenue 
coming off in its rate of growth, when you had the margin coming off, when you had the continuing requirements for funding allowed for, then you could get a much lower price for the stock than it was currently trading on. So, so that was one of those situations where the industry was turning on it. And it, so it wasn't just a behavioural thing. It was you know, making a judgment about the future of an industry based on our understanding of past business situations. You go, well, how can we make a judgment about that business situation? How, how, you know, what tools do we have mm. to actually, you know, are, are we experts in the payments industry? Can, do we know that just because somebody's got a, a new product, a better product or a slightly lower margin that they're willing to come in, is that really going to affect Tyro, well, we thought. Or are you just looking on for the vibe? (laughs) Correct. Is it just the vibe? Very good. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, what we do is we fall back on something called Porter's Five Forces. It's been around for quite a long time, but there was this academic in the United States. He did analysis of lots and lots of industries and he found these common factors that could explain whether it was a very profitable industry and it was going to be an increasingly profitable or a decreasingly profitable industry industry. So it helps really with the delta of the of the industry as well. So there are certain things to tick off. There are five forces, right? And so the forces that we're really applying here were new entrants coming in. So that was that was a really big deal. Therefore, you know, that's that's a pretty good sign that you're on the right track if you're forecasting lower margins. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So when you refer to the delta, is that like the time decay effect? Is that sorry? What that means? No, no, no. I'm not being that um, sophisticated. No, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, 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 so delta, so, delta, sorry, del- just... delta just means change. You know, what is the change in the competitive position of firms in that industry? Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily about whether it's a good industry or a bad industry. It's about whether it's getting better, or whether it's getting worse. And so when I said that's the delta, that's what I meant. What's the change? Is it getting better or is it getting worse? Mm. So let's talk about mispricing, but in, mm-hmm. on the upside. Yes, are, okay. Yeah, what are some of the companies that you've been looking at and um, how have they been, how did you identify okay. that mispricing? So, so again, we fall back on recurring business situations and, and, and a classic recurring business situation is store rollout. So when somebody's got a fantastic concept and they're rolling out stores globally, we can look back historically and you can see that the market has a lot of trouble pricing that stock correctly in the short term, right? So... If you can find a company like McDonald's that's just, you know, historically rolled out all the stores through the United States and then started rolling them all out globally, in that phase of its growth, the share price just keeps going up and up and up and up because the market really only forecasts out two or three years and it wants to be conservative in its forecasts, even when it's very excited, it's not going to pay for 
what's going to happen in six or seven or eight years, unless there's just so much history that mm. it convinces itself that it's the worthwhile thing to do. So a company that's similar to that in Australia that we've seen over many, many years, and again, they're great examples because companies only are in this phase for a certain part of their growth, and then they get to maturity, right? So think about when Harvey Norman was rolling out its stores. Its share price went up five times over about four or five years listed on the share market. Likewise, JB Hi-Fi, as it was converting its stores from mostly being music stores to being more electronics and technology stores, and then it just did this massive rollout throughout Australia. Again, its share price went up five, six, seven times over the course of of half a dozen years. Um, Another store, uh, Flight Centre, again, rolling out in Australia overseas. More recently, though, we've had LaVissa in the Australian market, rolled out its stores aggressively in Australia. And every time it put down a new store, it was getting payback in about a year. So a great business. Then it started to try doing it overseas and found that it, that it worked. But some markets are very large, like Europe's a very large market. US is a very large market. UK is a very large market. So, so they have to test those markets. Well, now they've got beachheads in all those markets, quite big beachheads, and they're just really starting to roll out very aggressively. So that's a, a stock that has got this recurring business situation and the market just hadn't been prepared to price it out into the future. Mm. So uh, most probably don't like the uh, term contrarian, but uh, do you ever find yourself at odds with analysts and analyst forecasts? Well, no, I wouldn't call myself a contrarian. Um, Generally, analysts are very good in the next 12 months. They're Mm. they're close to the companies, they understand the industries and their 12-month to 24-month numbers are usually very very good and 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 when they need to change they change them they change them really quickly mm. and for the most part for the most part they're very good at the longer term numbers as well it's just that minority of of situations where you can find this recurring situation that people aren't prepared to really they just think oh no that's too aggressive a forecast right so another great example in a stock that's not listed in australia in its current form anymore is afterpay so in the case of afterpay we were able to see how people used their afterpay cards. And it turned out that in the first year, they might use their afterpay card four times. But in the second year of being a member of afterpay, they'd use it eight to 10 times. And in the third year, they'd use it like 20 times, right? So it wasn't just that afterpay was putting on new customers. We could actually extrapolate, well, how are the customers from last year going to behave and how are the customers from the year before that going to behave, next year and then what are they how are they going to behave the year after that and so when we started to use that historical information and roll out our forecasts into the future as well as take into account how afterpay was acquiring new customers every year let alone the old customers then we came out with these much much bigger forecasts and that allowed us to have a price that was a lot higher and yes, we disagreed with the analysts about what the earnings numbers were going to be in three, four, five years' time. Now, that's only half the trick. The other half of the trick is the price, right? So maybe the upside to get to the price you think it should be trading at today is 80% or 100% or 150%. But what happens when it gets there? What do you do? Once it's there, then the market agrees with us. And we might be forecasting what's going to happen for the next seven, eight, nine, ten years, as we were in the case of Afterpay. And the market was actually pricing that at that point in time. So there was no need for us to stay there and find out if it was going to be right. We're getting paid today 
whether it was going to be right or not. And so the right thing to do at that point was to sell all our shares and just move on. And as it turned out, of course, well, the market and we were a little bit wrong about what the future was going to be Mm. because um, it turns out that when we had this big inflection in um, interest rates, the bad debt charges actually were higher than what we were expecting. And um, as a result, the profitability was nowhere near as strong as what we thought it would be. And you can have a look at the similar companies on the stock exchange now, the, the buy now, pay later companies, they've actually all collapsed in share prices. So, so it was very, it just shows the wisdom of not sticking around, not falling in love with a company, just being very, very clear about what you're expecting for the future. And when, it's, when you're getting paid for that, moving on from it. And that applies to the shorts as much mm. as, to the, as to the longs. During the COVID downturn, for example, we could see that Australia was shutting its borders. And that had terrible implications for a stock like Qantas and a stock like Flight Centre, because not only were those companies going to be losing earnings, but um, their balance sheets meant that they were going to have to raise capital. They didn't have the cash flow to get through without the earnings. And as a result, we knew that the existing shareholders were going to be diluted. And when you did that through a discounted cash flow analysis, you could see there was a big drop coming in the share prices. And so we shorted those companies. And of course, they did fall. But the important thing was when they got to the price that we thought they should be at, we closed that out. And that really stood us in good stead because, of course, that COVID correction or crash didn't last very long. (laughs) If you remember, you know, it started falling dramatically towards the end of February and March was, was horrible. But, uh, you know, in the Within next month, months, it bottomed it was, and, yeah. and up it went again. You know, yeah. so it really is you know, having a view about what the future is that drives the actual price you think is the right price is so important. And when we look at funds during that period that had shorting in them, many of them just held the shorts all the way through. So it protected them when, when markets fell, but then they lost all that when the markets rose mm. again. But that's not how we manage our money, whether it's longs or shorts very price-driven, and hopefully, if we get it right, we actually close out positions when we get our price targets. Hopefully, our price targets are the right prices. <laughs> so it sounds like it's all about generating alpha, but it's also generating income as well, isn't it? Tell us about the income side of um, the Okay. Phase. So one of the things we've learnt um, with the unit trust is Australian unit trust law historically has been whenever you earn any income, you have to pay it out in that financial year. And for a fund like ours, which most of its earnings comes from realising profit mm. rather than from dividends, it means that you know we have ve- we could have very lumpy distributions because one year we might have you know realised twenty percent of the fund in profit, and then we might go the next year and the actual share market's down and we're flat and we haven't made any profit. At all, mm. and so you know, we go from having a twenty percent distribution to a zero percent distribution. The government's come out with some legislation called AMIT, A M I T, that allows unit trusts to smooth their distributions, and so we can look at our distributions over time. And, and because almost all of our returns come from um, realization of profit, uh, and we've done over ten percent per annum after fees we've formed a view that we can quite easily put out 6% per annum at a minimum 
as a distribution, and so we've we've kept it pretty smooth. We we do one and a half percent per quarter. Uh, we declare that each quarter, and you know we can always top that up and make it bigger at the end of the year if we want to. If we start building up too much of a buffer, but that's been standing in pretty good stead. We've been doing it now for about a year and a half, and every quarter we just return one and a half percent to the investors. Okay, so tell us the names of the funds and uh, where listeners can find out more information. Right, so we've got the Monash Absolute Investment Fund, MAFE. If you go to our website, monashinvestors.com, you can get the details on where to invest. You can apply online. And we've also got the Monash Absolute Active Trust. The stock code is MAAT. It's listed on the stock exchange. And it's the same sort of vehicle, same strategy, and um, just go to it through whatever um, stockbroking platform you use. Fantastic. Simon, thank you very much for joining me again today. Thanks again, Phil. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice as we don't know your personal financial situation, so you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. 